it's April and it's the Helpling Show and on this show we are going to be talking about all things autism um, as it is autism, uh, autism Awareness Month and Day on the 2nd of April. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking with uh, Galway Autism Partnership and we're also going to be talking with the Irish so- uh, Autism Society as well. So lots of good stuff coming up and perhaps a, a piece of music as well. April and on the Helplink show we are going to be talking about all things autism uh, this month and um, we have some great people uh, coming to talk to us and one of those is sitting opposite me in the studio today and that's Ashleen. She is the coordinator from Galway Autism Partnership and uh, Ashleen, thanks a million for coming in. Thanks very much for having me Lachlan. That's my pleasure, my pleasure. Um, So yeah, um, next month is, um, or this month rather, April is uh, World Awareness month for autism? Yeah, so it would be considered, depending on who you ask, it's Autism Awareness Day on the 2nd of April. Right. And we like to call it Autism Acceptance Month because the way we see it, everybody is aware of autism, but it's time that we start working on the acceptance piece. Oh, excellent. Right. Yeah, it's a very interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I I like that. Um, So, um, yeah, so most people would have a basic understanding of what autism is. Um, now, uh, so my knowledge came from it from uh, friends and family that uh, would have children uh, that are on the spectrum, um, and also um, studying a little bit of it uh, in college. Um, and uh, at the time in college, they were uh, they were looking kind of at the history of it, and uh, it all began within kind of basically um, one diagnosis but that really didn't fit everybody. Am I right? You're very right in saying that. So I'm kind of assuming you're referring to probably Leo Kanner's diagnosis of autism and then Hans Asperger's diagnosis of Asperger. Exactly. And it would have been thought these were around kind of the 1930s, 1940s, and it was originally thought that autism and Asperger's was a disorder that affected only middle-class white males. And that's interesting because obviously we know now those are the only cohort of people who are actually able to afford a diagnosis. So in a way, they were privileged to receive that diagnosis. But thankfully, we know a lot more now, and we know that autism can be diagnosed in people of all ages, races, socioeconomic status, and gender. So it's very important to recognize that now. And that's part of the conversation we have when we talk about autism acceptance Mm. and awareness, I suppose. So a, a lot of people still consider autism to be an intellectual disability or something that can only affect children or males, but that's not true. And we still do have a lot to learn when it Mm. comes to autism. Yeah. Um, So the awareness piece is there, but I suppose um, along with acceptance, there's also an understanding of it. That's Uh, it, yeah. 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 Um, So there is basically like a a rainbow. When they they talk about the spectrum, uh, it's essentially a rainbow of different levels of what we would call autism. Am I right in that? exactly right, Lachlan. Now you're getting it. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. So when we talk about the spectrum, it is that variety, and that's what makes autism so incredible and unique is because people can be so different, just like 
like anyone else, like any non-autistic person, but we do see common traits, but then we see so much variety as well. So mm. people fall at all different ends of the spectrum. And depending on what kind of day you're having, you can be at different ends of the spectrum, oh. depending on how you're coping or how your day went or how you slept the night before. Yes. So it really is quite fluid. And the comparison can be drawn to the LGBTQ plus um, movement mm. when we talk about things like coming out as autism or autism pride. Mm. And again, that spectrum, that fluidity of where you can fall on the spectrum. And I know that can be a little bit confusing and off-putting to people at first, but I just think it is the grounds for a really, really interesting conversation. Mm. But then again, I'm a little bit nerdy when it comes to this topic. Yeah, yeah. well, of course, uh, the, the, you obviously have a natural passion for it. Anyway, the... Um so just to go back a little bit there, um, you, you you mentioned it being fluid. Um, so even when you're diagnosed as being an, on part of the spectrum, that is not static. That's true, I suppose. And again, it's getting into a little bit of philosophical territory, but what does a diagnosis actually mean? You know mm. you're on the spectrum and you may be... Um, functioning beautifully when you're at home, you're surrounded by the things that make you comfortable, you're doing things that you feel comfortable doing. But however, when you go out into the community and the supports are not there to meet your needs, mm. you're suddenly under a lot of stress from external variables, mm. you may be less able to function successfully. So where you fall on the spectrum can really vary from day to day. I've spoken to people who say that on any given day they can be verbal, they can be able to express themselves vocally, but if they're under significant stress, trauma or distress, they lose their ability to communicate verbally. They need to rely on written or gesture yes, of to course. communicate. Well, it's fascinating. So it, it, it's, it's somewhat like... Um uh, forgive me if I'm wrong here, like, but uh, it's it's somewhat like so. If a person has a a, a natural stutter, mm. some days uh, when they're under pressure, that is far more heightened. So mm. the stress can can affect how you communicate. Essentially, Absolutely, yeah. Wow, well, I am learning a lot today. <laughs> um, okay, so um, where did you get involved, and why did you get involved uh, with GAP? Great. Um, so I think it's important to just start by saying that I am a non-autistic person. So obviously my opinion and my perspective is coming from the view of a non-autistic person. Mm. And, and myself and any member of GAP don't speak for or on behalf of the autistic population, but we speak with them. Okay. So I can provide my perspective as the GAP coordinator, as mm. a family member of autistic people, mm. as a friend to autistic people. Mm. But it is important to make that ver that. Um, that point that I am a non-autistic person and again my perspective does not cover the full gamut of the autistic perspective um, it's just one voice so it is yeah. important to get a variety but I suppose it's always something that I've been connected with um, I'm from a large family of eight and my eldest sister is autistic so literally something I've always grown up with something that you didn't even really notice growing up it's just part of life yeah. and I went on to study psychology again with no real desire to focus in any one area, just mm. kind of a, we'll see see what sticks. You found the brain interesting. There you <laughs> go, I found the brain interesting, that was it. And then through my studies, I started to find the autistic brain particularly interesting. And again, that, that amount of variability, the challenges that autistic people face, but the strength that they use to overcome those challenges, I found that so interesting and inspiring. And I particularly 
kind of got my experience while working in a centre for adults. Um, it wasn't a centre exclusively for autistic adults, it was for individuals with intellectual disability, but there was a, a number of autistic people there and I loved seeing how they interacted and connected with mm. the other people there. Uh, I then went on to work in a school in Galway and I went on to manage a residential centre in, center in Edinburgh for autistic adults. Mm-hmm. and. I just so happened to come back to Galway and see the role of GAP coordinator advertised and I loved that it paired kind of working on an everyday level with autistic children, teenagers, adults, their families but it also combined that with working within the community so visiting schools and organisations to deliver education programmes about autism um, working with people who may have never heard of the word autism to give them an education about that so it really does kind of combine the things that I'm most passionate about and puts them in one job. Brilliant yeah Mm. so um, tell me about GAP Uh, when when did it start and um, who set it up and and, and what's the history of GAP? Perfect yeah so GAP kind of started long before my involvement. I'm actually two years with GAP this April, but it was set up way back in 2011 and it was actually set up around a kitchen table by a group of proactive parents and one autistic adult. Um, uh, It was a lady called Jess actually. Um, Now those people who were involved in setting up, obviously they worked through their term and have have had to step down but they're still involved with GAP. Mm. So it was just literally set up by a group of parents who seen what was available for their children their children were all different ages most of them were young some of them were becoming teenagers and they seen what was available and they said it really wasn't enough Mm. and every time that they sought help from the existing services it just did not work out for them either they were on long waiting lists or what was provided wasn't meeting the needs of their children so they said let's get together and do something ourselves at the very least we can just create a group of people that understand one another and know what it's like to raise an autistic child and it really took off from there so Mm. kind of started as a parent and peer support group and then they started going into the likes of social clubs for kids teenagers then summer camps and it really grew from there when it became a registered charity Mm. we have a premises up in Laurel Park in Newcastle Mm. and that's where our office is based but it's also where we run the majority of our clubs and camps and activities okay so it it became uh, essentially, or rather, its intention is to become uh, um, a voice for uh, people with autism, and uh, also an educational uh, tool and a support to, mm. to 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 kids as well. That's it. So I suppose we wear many hats. What we're probably best known are the services and supports that we offer. So social mm. and special interest clubs and activities, peer support groups for parents and family members. Um, activities, workshops, training, but we also are delving deeper and deeper into the advocacy side of things. So supporting autistic individuals when they are looking for employment and education, supporting parents when they are having issues with schools or with government bodies. And then again, there would be that kind of information piece where we would visit different organisations, youth groups, scout groups, schools, businesses, Mm. and we either talk about how they can make their premises or their communities more autism friendly or more inclusive. Right. And uh, 
I presume the, these these clubs and camps and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, it's actually a, a mix of people. Because would, would siblings be going there as well? Yeah, um, some so of the clubs are yeah. available to siblings. We also run clubs that are exclusively for siblings. We call it the Super Sibling Program because that's what they are. Um, yeah. And it's all about uh, like acknowledging the sibling as a child in their own right that's de- deserving of attention and, and special attention like mm. that. So they get to do loads of fun activities. But there's also an advocacy piece there where we're developing and empowering them to speak up for themselves for their own rights and on the behalf of their brother or sister that may yeah. not be able to speak up for themselves. So yeah. while we are acknowledging the role of a sibling is very important, a lot of these young people are young carers in mm. that role, we're also giving them a break and saying, you know what, you are important in your own right and you need to take care of your own mental health and well-being. Yes. Um, we're in the college at the minute. Um, uh, do you know um, what kind of supports are there for students um, then as they go along? I mean, and not just third level, but I suppose right through primary school, um, post-primary and, and, and third level. Are there a lot of supports out there mm-hmm. for, for children and young people with autism? Well, I'm certainly no expert, but a lot of my experience would go on having conversations with individuals on the spectrum or their parents about their experience throughout education. So primary and secondary, it really does vary from school to school. We Mm. hear things that sometimes schools are the absolute best support that's available out there. In fact, sometimes they're the only support, so the only speech and language therapy or occupational therapy that people are receiving are actually through schools. The only positive behaviour support that they're receiving comes through the schools and that can be a really valuable resource for parents and families. And then we hear the opposite side of that where parents are constantly struggling to find a place that's suitable for their child, that meets their needs and that sees them as an individual. Um, Some educators, not all of them thankfully, but some educators will only focus on the challenges or the impairment they don't see the strength and anyone who you talk to will tell you in order to achieve success for an autistic person you need to work through those strengths because that is the area of most value it's where the motivation comes from when people are passionate about something they want to learn about it Mm. um when it comes to college, I know that there's the DARE program. I know that there's a number of programs that are being set up either by voluntary groups or private groups to support individuals with very, with different disabilities, not just autism, mm. through the college experience. But as far as I can see, there's not always permanent easily accessible um, easily accessible services for everyone. So something okay. might be run on a pilot program, but it's only for 18 months. Yeah. However, in saying that, I know that NUIG does have like a disability access officer and things like that, so it's brilliant to yeah. see. And so I would know a, a few autistic students who say, of course, there are challenges associated with attending university, but having somebody like that, that they can seek advice and support yeah. from, that does make all the difference. Yeah. Brilliant. And um, you mentioned it was parents that set up GAP. Mm. Um, uh, it's still parent-led? That's uh, right, yeah. yeah. Our board are all, well, not all of them, but are mostly parents. We have a number of parents who are parents to children and teenagers and adults that mm. are on the spectrum. We also have professionals that work with um, children on the spectrum and we also have an autistic adult and individual on our board. Okay. The, the reason I ask that is because you know, with any with anything really that's that's going on for people in our community, we generally tend to concentrate on the children, the young people, mm-hmm. which is mostly right because we need to support them as they're growing 
to be to be the best they can be mm-hmm. within whatever constraints they may have. Um, but then you would have a lot of adults that mm. are out there that that haven't been, been supported in the past when they were growing up to achieve what they could achieve. Um, what is out there for adults right now? Uh, yeah. And as you mentioned, not just gap now, but well, I mean, course, in general, like yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. As you mentioned, like that, they may not have had those supports, and a lot of people will say, while things can be challenging for children, once you turn 18, it's like dropping off a cliff face. Mm. There's absolutely nothing available unless you go into A and E or you're in crisis, and it's a very difficult situation for autistic adults but also any adults that have issues with disability mental health and um, but that's a whole other mm. kind of area I suppose the reason I touch by, upon that because is because there would be a lot of adults with shared diagnosis of anxiety depression mm. mood disorders or just general mental health challenges because they have had to grow up grow, grow up in such a challenging yeah. environment mm. so what's available is generally what's really available to the public at large there is not a huge amount out there for autistic adults if you don't have an intellectual disability there really is very little um, I know a lot of people would either if they choose to go down the education route they would go to a third level mm-hmm. institution such as university or college mm-hmm. they might go to the National Learning Network they might um, join FOSS or something like that do an right. apprenticeship yeah. but it is not as easy as it is for the non-autistic population um, what we kind of do we are trying to do more for the adult autistic community we do recognise that it is very very challenging but the best support comes from peers so while there is not a huge amount available in terms of mental health service um, health services in general um, we do recognise that the best support comes from autistic adults themselves so we run that's it the community so we run social groups for autistic adults we occasionally will run special interest clubs like documentary filmmaking obviously not everything appeals to everybody but we do find that there is a lot of interest out there for things like the arts creative arts um, technology media we only wish that we could do more but we are restricted I suppose in that regard by your your funding and everything as well um, um, uh, speaking of which I mean I know Every community charity and that kind of thing is always uh, is always on the breadline. Essentially, mm. when it comes to these things, um, uh, Gap do uh, do they need extra support? I obviously, do. But I mean, uh, do they get support from the government or do they get mm. any support? How do they get their support? Basically, that's like, it. Yeah, yeah. So, like you said, every organisation is basically on the red line and the situation is no different from us. We don't at the moment receive any state support whatsoever so we're not funded under Section 39. We don't receive government funding to cover our core costs. So every cent that is donated or fundraised goes into actually keeping our premises, our offices and our services up and running. And that can make it very difficult when you're trying to plan for the future, when you want to expand your services to reach different ages, different Mm -hmm. abilities and offered something new and um, new that meets a demand and that meets a need, it can be challenging. Um, we are very lucky that we have wonderful support from the community. Mm. A lot of our fundraising initiatives come from our members, but we also have to remember that our members are generally parents of autistic children. They are the most financially vulnerable 
in the population already, mm-hmm. some may say. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of single-income families where one parent has had to leave their job to become a full-time carer. Right. And these are the people that are going out on a Saturday or Sunday morning shaking buckets for mm-hmm. gas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, not a sit- it's not a situation that we see as being sustainable. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen there in the media, but we had to recently, just before Christmas, we actually had to let our members and the public know that we were at risk of actually closing our doors oh, if things didn't change. And there was a huge response from our members. They really, really... Yeah. came together and raised a huge amount but again it's not yeah. the kind of thing you can do every year so yeah. we are trying to make the appeal to the state whether that's through the HC or the Department of Education mm. that the services that we provide are valuable and we actually receive over 50% of our referrals from HSC funded services so we are making the argument that the services are valuable enough to be referred to but the money isn't following that and sure. it's just not going to... It's not good enough. It's, uh, it's not good enough and we're not uh, going to be able to continue it. Yeah, yeah. and if, if people um, beyond your members, mm-hmm. because as you said, I mean, there's only so much your members can do, mm-hmm. um, if people do want to support you in some way, um, whether it's financially or something mm-hmm. else, um, how would they get in contact and, uh, with you? Well, there's plenty of ways to kind of get involved, whether it's through volunteering or fundraising. So just to contact the GAP office, you can contact us on 0915888899 or you could contact us over um, through our website uh, everything if you just google Galway Autism Partnership all our contact details come up but like that people think oh if I have to fundraise it has to be something huge and that's not true like a massive amount of our income that keeps our charity up and running comes through Facebook fundraisers so people raising 100 euro for their birthday that makes a huge difference going out to schools and doing a no uniform day that can raise 400 euro Um, we also visit schools delivering our presentation autism what is unique is wonderful we deliver that at no cost but if the school can do anything like a bake sale or no uniform day those are the things that keep us up and running and we encourage people to get really creative with their fundraising like something like a sponsored silence where you have to rely on communication that is non-verbal to get an idea of what it can be like to have to rely without non-verbal without verbal communication Um, and the frustration that goes along with that exactly yeah yeah, yeah, so as well as raising money it does raise an awareness of how Mm. challenging it can be to get through daily tasks and then uh, completely aside from fundraising, we have loads of volunteering opportunities. GAP is just volunteers, to be honest. So it's a volunteer-led organisation. Our board are voluntary. I'm the only full-time member of staff. We have a part-time administrator. And everything else relies on the support of volunteers. So we run clubs and activities every weekend that need the help of volunteers. And you don't need to have a PhD in psychology or autism studies to be able to help out you just need to have the right attitude be able to meet people as they are and learn from them and be patient and reliable and you'll get on excellent in our social clubs for people of all ages so again if anyone wants to get involved just search Galway Autism Partnership online and all our contact details will be there lovely Um, we mentioned at the start um, that tomorrow I think yes tomorrow is um, autism Auti- oh, you can call it Autism, autism Awareness Day, Day or yeah, Autism yeah. Acceptance exactly, Day. Oh, sorry, that's right. Uh, um, and uh, do uh, does GAP have any plans for this month? We and do. For the year ahead, actually. Yes, well, actually, yeah. yeah. We learned the hard way last year. We went very hard for Autism Acceptance Month, and we were all a little bit exhausted after it. Right. But we're taking a little bit of an easier approach. Um, I'm going out to a school 
just after this interview to deliver our presentation. Tomorrow we will be in Galway Shopping Centre with just a little information stand. We'll be raising money, but we'll also be talking to members of the public about mm. autism. If you feel like you have a family member on the spectrum, if you feel like you're on the spectrum yourself, or if you just want to learn about autism, come up and talk to us. If you want to learn how to make life easier and better for autistic people in your community come up and have a chat with us um, what else are we doing um, we have a few things planned for the week actually where we have a pamper evening for carers Perfect. and parents and autistic adults that'll be in the Harbour Hotel on Thursday the 4th of April um, from 7 to 9 and to finish off the month we will be having um, a wear gold walk on the prom that's the 28th of April I believe I might have to check that but I think it's the 28th of April yeah. so it'll be a sponsored walk so it's an opportunity to raise money for GAP but whether you bring in any money or not come on join us put on a yellow or a gold t-shirt and just join us on the prom show that you're willing to support the autistic community in Galway and that you want to do more to make things better Sounds great sounds mm -hmm. great Ashin thank you so much for thank coming you, in Thank uh, Very interesting stuff I learned a lot so far and I hope the, our listeners have as well and uh, once again if you just want to give us the phone number and the website again No uh, problem so the phone number is 091-588-99 and the website is www www.galwayautismpartnership.com Lovely stuff. Thanks a million, Ashley. Thank you.
on the Helplink show um, Dennis Sexton from uh, the Irish Society of Autism in Ireland uh, a yeah. national organisation um, that uh, a national charity rather um, that supports people with autism and uh, well I'll tell you what let's, uh, let's ask uh, Dennis what, exactly what they do um, Dennis uh, thanks for coming on and uh, yeah can you tell us a little bit about um, well a little bit about yourself first and then a little, uh, and about the Irish Society for Autism well, I, I'm a parent volunteer in the Irish Society for Autism, and uh, the, um, the two words are part of the whole operation. Uh, I am a parent and grandparent of people on the autism spectrum, oh. and um, I, I'm a retired uh, teacher, and uh, um, I, you know, well, I've always been an activist, I mean, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever the battle is you take part in it. So 
have been through sports clubs and school discos and the whole bit. And then when our chap came on, we had a son with autism, we directed our volunteering energies to um, working with, with with autism. And um, so so that's it. And uh, um, being of the uh, education background, you know, from the earliest of days, my 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 um my volunteering function with the society has to a large extent been in education and awareness but i, I you know i've ta- i've taken part in in uh, across the whole spectrum of everything that that the, the society has has sort of done in the in the cause of autism okay and 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 how did you get uh, directly involved with irish autism society and, and how, when when was that uh, exactly yeah well our our son uh, our son john is uh 33 years old now and uh, if you put the John to the Sexton bit you know you'll see that he has the same name as a rugby player right. we've, a, we've, a, we've a Johnny Sexton too um, <laughs> uh, and they're about the same age by the way but uh, <laughs> that's as far as the similarity went but uh, um, you know um, you know, like every parent once we heard you know that John had autism you know um, one of the one of the earliest ports of call then was to phone the society, which was mm. you know one of the, the one of the oldest, if not the oldest, uh, autism organisation in the country at the mm. time, right. and you know asking what happens now, where do yeah. we go now, and, and that, and that's a function that the society does to this day, you know. So yeah. that that was our our first involvement with it, and. Um, the, the society uh, in those days were, used to run big uh, annual seminars um, uh, for parents and professionals uh, and that. And uh, we went along, liked what they were doing, and um, got involved pretty much early on. I mean, in the early days, uh, we would have been involved in the fundraising end of it, you know, um, like, like everybody else. Mike, joke, if you've got a child with a problem, the next thing you get after the diagnosis is a collection booklet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very true, very true. Um, <laughs> and that's, tr- that's true of all conditions. So, so exactly, like, yeah, across the board. Yeah, I mean, once, once, you want to, once you've got a loved one that uh, needs some extra support, um, and you're going to do your, your, your damnedest to, to, to get, a, get, that, get that for them. And, 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 and it's a great way for your, your circle of friends and your family who are helping you to come to grips with the grieving which is there you know that they want to help you in some way so they all that's a chance for them in a practical way to get involved as well you know so it's it's, it's, it's very important that's that's how we got involved with it right. really and then um you know uh the 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 irish society of autism uh it's about 60 years old now and um, okay. i remember we celebrated 50 years ago a few years ago so i can't right. remember for, for close <laughs> <laughs> we're somewhere between 50 and 60 years there and right. uh, uh so our fella is is in his, his 30 so that mm. they were already up and running uh, there be, before our time you know and um a number of very strong families there in in involved in the organization of it and um, so it was a, it was it was it was a family led organization initially was it? Uh, it oh, oh, initial, oh, totally family organization. Yeah, right. to, totally family organization. Okay. And um, um, there, there's um, several big important families in it. But the, the family you know that was at the core of it all were the Matthews uh, family, uh, um, 
Mr. Pat Matthews and his wife, uh, Nula. Right. Uh, um, with our family show, I'm not going to go down the lane and no, blaming no. other ones because you, you, <laughs> yeah. you, leave, you, leave, you leave other people out and get exactly. involved. Exactly. But, but, the, but uh, its main, its main uh, reason for beginning was—was it—was it? Was it well, it's a question <laughs> rather than a statement. Uh, it was around um, advocacy, or was it around maybe support, or has it grown into a support? Um, all of. All of those things, uh, okay. all of those things. I mean, and and the people ahead of us, the people ahead of us, you know, going back to the 50 years, um, the recognition was one of the first things that they had to go go after. Um, okay. And 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 bearing in mind, like, you know, if I'm talking 50 to 60 years ago, bear, bear in mind that the autism label was only uh, created in 1943. Mm. You know, th- that's only 76 years there. So that, yeah. that and assuming that it takes a couple of years for it to come across the Atlantic from America, um, you know, if you're talking the 1960s or thereabouts, these people were were right in there then. You mm. know, and yeah, and um, yeah. and the recognition had to be got, and it wasn't sort of there. Um, the one of the problems with autism, and maybe with other things as well, too, is the fact that you have both an education and a health uh, dimension to the problem. Mm. And that means you're dealing with two different government agencies all of the time, and they don't always march to the same drumbeater at the same time. You know? yes. And as it happens, health was uh, in advance of education in dealing with it. Well, probably they... They they saw it more as an education as a health thing, but so they 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 were to the forefront. Uh, it took education a while to get on board, and that's one of the things that the society had to get in there and do something about uh, at the very beginning. Um, uh, the, the you know the, the the Department of Education um, didn't actually formally recognise autism until. Uh, 1993, there was an education oh. report come out then called uh, CERC, S-E-R-C, right. and um, that was the first time that they accepted it. Before 1993, um, uh, autism was regarded as emotional disturbance. Right. They didn't recognize the label at all. Wow, that's amazing. Huh? So, so that was one of the first times. That came about to an unfortunate accident. The, the guy who labelled autism in America in 1943, Kanner, mm. um, he seemed to be caught up in the type of parent he was dealing with in California. They seemed to be all high-functioning, middle-class people. And um, he was kind of putting it down, uh, labelling it as perhaps caused by a lack of bonding between mother and child or thereabouts. Yes, you know? sorry for that. And um, they did... Awful phrases like refrigerator mother were yes. in vogue at the time. Yeah. And um, total lie and total nonsense and totally cruel because if you have a problem with your child, the last thing you need to be told is you were responsible yeah, really, for it. Exactly, yeah. Even if it's true and if it's not true, it's horrific. But we were struck with that then until 1993. Uh, so these were some of the, the, the early battles. Um, a lot of our people in the early days, the adults with more profound autism, would have been uh, in psychiatric hospitals, those who were there, you know, under whatever label they had or hadn't got. And that was one of the first battles uh, that the society sort of took on board okay. to deal with. And so right from the very beginning, you know, it was uh, 
I know the society doesn't like to use the word uh, helpline, or, or but they, they prefer to call it an information line, but okay. call it what you will. I mean, yeah. that's one of the earliest sort of functions. We've all, when I say we've all, those of us who have people with autism back down the line, we've all phoned in to find out what's it all about, where do we go from here, where do we get the help, and all the rest of it. Yeah. And that, that function has still been provided okay. um, by, by the society. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in the early days, they, they began to, you know, the, the, the forefathers of the organization, uh, the Matthews and all those before them, um, where do we go from there? And um, then one of the first thing they did, one of the earliest things they did, and going back to the, I think it's the early 1980s, um, well, earlier than that, they, they bought a community farm in, in, in near Enfield in County Mead, and that, that was called the Dunford Service. So they went in to service provision, and they didn't want our people in psychiatric hospitals, which was inappropriate. So yes. they had this fantastic model farm uh, in, in Enfield in County Mead, and a number of those were spread thereafter. Now, We've moved on from there. The farms still exist and our people are still there, but we're not managing them anymore. Okay. We, we've moved on. So uh, the, the original core service of being the first port to call for a parent to phone in, mm. that's still pretty yeah. much to the yeah. forefront. And as far as I can see, that's one of the best sort of things that was there. But <laughs> linking in with this business of the circle report in 93 and all of that, hmm. that, that became the, the major battle then to, to um, try to establish education services and so on. The, 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 the early founders of the organization, um, before education or health got on board, they actually even tried to start a pilot school themselves for autism. Um, that didn't work out. They left it alone and withdrew from it. But, you know, okay. they, they went in at the very beginning of everything that needed to be sort of done, getting residential services. Because by, you know, when I speak about the residential services, one-fifth of the people with autism, you know, are, are nonverbal. And um, the, the PC words of how you describe intellectual ability changes, time goes on. But an awful lot, perhaps not all, but a great many of the people of the non-verbal type would be severe learning disability people okay. as well. I think that's the PC phrase now to, to right. describe them. So in, in other words, I'm, I'm describing a group of people who could never live an independent life, right. who are going to need um, residential services, you know, mm. sooner or later down the track. And it depends at what point the parent um, you know, decides that needs, that's needs where, support, they, like, yeah. where they need to go. Yeah. And you get a lot of parents who... Um, they want to carry the battle on, on their own, but, mm. you know, eventually, sooner or later, down along the track, that, that's the reality. They need that extra support. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 they do. So, so that, that, that service was sort of established there. But um, bearing in mind, you know, that autism is a spectrum. Mm. Well, like that, four-fifths of those people are, are, are not in that situation and need different kinds of support. Correct, yeah, correct. Yeah. So, but... Um, you're moving up to sort of lesser levels of dependency, but, you know, there's dependency nearly all the way, really, mm. you know, in sort of some sense or other. The middle cohort of them, you know, um, you get through schools with supports and all of that type of stuff. But And I, I'd imagine where such employment would exist, they would need mentored employment mm. up along the lane. There is the top end of the spectrum, the, the, the very high-functioning 
almost, well, not almost, there are many people at that end of the autism spectrum who are geniuses anyway. Right. Um, they, they will... They will get on, but with certain social difficulties as well, because mm. the, the, the deficit for them are in social skills, social okay. communications, and they find it very difficult. So I'm generalizing now like mad here. Mm. Of course, there of are, course, yeah. There, um, there, are, there are going to be exceptions, but a lot of people at that end will have severe difficulties socially, sort of mm. mixing with people, getting, you know, understanding humor, understanding backstabbing, Smart talk, you know, yeah, not really getting all that, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we uh, are we are a country of a lot of sarcasm, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. uh, so. well, that's just one example of it, yeah, but like you yeah, know, yeah, um, yeah. but you know, understand the, the nuances of, mm. of 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 social behaviour and and how how to get on with people and knowing when people are joking, they're taking the serious or whatever. Yeah. They're really deficits for people up, up uh, at that particular end. So, like you know. Um, but again, again, I'm coming back to, to the to the sort of to the call it the information line stuff. The, mm. That and, and awareness, spreading the word, you know, right back from the earliest days, the earliest leader parents there were out talking to parents' clubs or ladies' clubs or thereabouts, trying to spread the word mm. uh, everywhere. Awareness became one of the very early battles. Right. I suppose the biggest. When you look back on the history of it, the biggest turning point in in, in in awareness coming along the line was probably the Dustin Hoffman Rain Man movie. Oh yes, yeah. probably uh, probably nobody heard about autism before Dustin mm. Hoffman. You know? mm, yeah, it brought it into the in the the national speak. Let's say. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that film played a, a, an important sort of role there uh, along mm. the line. I mean, you know, when our fellow was diagnosed and he was. You know, he was diagnosed in 1985, well up along in the history of the whole thing. I mean, we've had people ask us, mishearing us, asking us, assuming that we had said artistic, not autistic, you know. Okay, right, yes. Um, <laughs> and asking you, did he paint or draw, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And well, the funny thing is, actually, it, it could be a form of expression, I presume, for, for somebody <laughs> who's nonverbal. So, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, when it comes to the society, so from what I'm gathering from you, their, their main um, pillars or their main aims are uh, to provide support through this um, support line, um, yes. to advocate for um, su for supports as well within yes. residential and also within education. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, from from now on, you know, um, being that we've moved away from actually providing the residential services, hmm. um, uh, the, the fight is now sort of moving on to. Uh, Trying to take society um, on board to understand people with autism in in all its sort of aspects, mm. like you know, um, the society is involved training in, in all aspects across the world of sort of training. Like one of one of the most exciting things that happened for me last year was that the FAI, the soccer association, the soccer organisation, uh, came on board with the society to train. Uh, local football managers and trainers and coaches who were willing to take a kid with autism into a team. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, at various other levels, even, you know, with the justice system, with, 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 with the Gardaí and, and all the rest of it. Like, mm. um, apart from the profound person who can't speak at all, an awful lot of the middle people with autism have various language difficulties in... Mm. Uh, they don't necessarily see language the way we do. 
all of the old sort of cliches that we trot out there, like mm. raining cats and dogs or uh, breaking your heart, some of that language is sort of a nightmare to people with autism, mm. so that uh, officials dealing with people with autism have to be really trained to deal how to speak to them, so yeah. that yeah. for to understand how the autistic person or the person with autism thinks, how they understand language. Uh, sometimes when you're speaking with a person with autism, they'll nod at you that they have understood you and they may not understand at all. Okay. Now, with, with that knowledge background, bearing in mind that in various circumstances in life, some of our people come in contact with the law, whether they get lost, you know, and we need the guardian to find them, mm -hmm. uh, and that happens, mm -hmm. or whether... Um, some of them might become victims of a crime right. yeah. and uh, for them to be able to explain themselves mm. to, to the guardian, to, to give evidence, even taking it to a higher level to getting the sort of the courts to recognize their validity as a witness. Right. Yes, I see. Yeah. Um, on, there may be some of them who be caught off site uh, who, um, uh, you know, uh, would run into trouble with the law, you know, and yeah. there's a in in the world of um, law and police and crimes and all the rest, I'm not saying that people are often people. Yeah. In general, in the world of special needs, there's a very high percentage of people in difficulty with the law who yes. have problems, you know, with communication. So that, um, and mostly down to mostly, I'm presuming mostly down to um, that lack of ability to communicate what is yes. going on for you. Um, as a person, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, the the National Disability Authority is working on, um, is working on, on a, an autism strategy, and they have gone in, they're working on that. They haven't published yet, but the society would have had an input into, into that, you know. Okay. And, um, you know, that brings me to that sort of level of involvement, um, you know, like, um, and again, to going back to the question of recognition of, mm. of autism, um, way back in the early days, getting the Department of Education to recognize it mm. and so on and so forth, the, the department ran a task force in the year 2000, 2001, to investigate the educability of people with autism. Uh, the, the society would have been very major contributors okay. to those meetings. Uh, then when move on to the next stage, the green and the white paper leading into the new Education Act, which came out in 2004, the EPSEN Act, that's Education for Persons with Special Education Needs, EPSEN. Mm. Um, you know, Pat, you know, and myself, I would have been there making the snowballs, if you like, and doing some of the research. Yes. You know, Pat Matthews, our, our leader, would have been a very big contributor even to the parliamentary subcommittee groups at the different stages of that legislation. Mm. Now, and that, that came to uh, the fruition then in, in the Epson Act in, in 2004 and all the education services we have now have come from that act. Okay. You know, all the special classes in primary schools, secondary schools, mm. the SNAs and the National Council for Special Education, that all came out of that. Mm. Mind you, that act now is not autism specific, but there's a big chunk of autism in there. Okay. Okay. So, so that sort of that sort of level, That's the work now, kind of, like from, yeah. from high up to to actually, well, like as you said, high high up there when you're dealing with um, an actual law, um, and yeah. uh, and, yeah. and uh, also down then to supporting people on the ground there yeah. that yeah. Are, are are working, like parents, etc. Yeah. Um, and housing grants, all sorts of things, you know, oh. right across the whole spectrum, yeah. even the whole question of 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 wills and inheritance mm. and. 
um, capacity. Yeah, yeah. And 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 what would you call them? The, the, you know, um, people. Oh, uh, Attorney, uh, you know, right. you know the person who looks after you. Oh, the sisters, yeah, yeah. sisters and barristers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, people putting people in power of attorney to speak for. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, yeah. Whether they have the capacity or not to be able to to deal with co- what's going on co- for them. Correct, yeah, and yeah. and that's one of the new again future plans we have. The mm. whole question of advocacy. Now there are national advocacy advocacy services there, but. Right. The society has been involved in that spectrum the whole way. And the new area of fight, the new area there, um, the biggest deficit of all, as I see it, now I'm, I'm, I'm pushing my own agenda here, is the question of respite for families. Of like autism, I once heard a person at a conference say that autism is a marathon, not a sprint. And that's yeah. not a true. It's a long old thing. It affects the whole family. It's very mm-hmm. severe on the person with autism. It's very severe on the parents who have to deal with it. And the poor old brothers and sisters mm. who had, you know, who may feel neglected down through the years when the family are pushing off getting diagnosis or fighting or yeah. talking to politicians yeah. or whatever, trying to get services. Yeah. Very often the poor old families get left to one side. So yeah. respite is terribly important for everybody. The yeah. person with autism benefits with respite. The parent gets energized for the long battle, yeah. and the brothers and sisters get a break. We have massive deficits there in the area of, mm. um, okay. of respite. Okay. And the other last group I mentioned is the fact that those wonderful products of the great new education system over the last 15 years from 2004, we've a big cohort of people in their late teens and in their 20s, and some of them reaching their 30s with nowhere to go. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and again, okay. so the society is in there. We're not alone. There are other organisations, but our organisation has been carrying that battle from the beginning, mm. and they're still there doing it. And tell me this: uh, for this month, um, where it's based around uh, autism awareness and acceptance, yeah. um, uh, does the society have any initiatives this month or coming up this year that you'd like to tell the listeners about? Well, I, I, I know we're planning a, a, another national conference, you know, to, mm. to bring, educa- bring uh, world experts and, and uh, um, parents and all that together. That's in, in, in sort of planning stage. But okay. um, working on, 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 on training programs, uh, and that, that, that's right. pretty much the, the immediate plan. But in terms of tomorrow, you know, um, mm. we're not exactly going to be at the office with balloons outside the door ourselves. Um, yeah. I, I just, if that sounds facetious, sorry, I don't mean oh, that, but we're, we're, we're not doing anything. But our office staff have been delightfully inundated for the last fortnight from schools and organizations who are planning to do something tomorrow, Please. giving them information packs and um, yeah. uh, literature and all of that. You know, so, yeah, yeah. So, so we've yeah. been we've been arming groups all over the place to... Uh, who are going to have an event tomorrow, yeah. Excellent. That's fantastic news. Uh, listen, if anybody wants to get in contact with the Irish uh, Autism Society, yes. do you have a, a number and a website there? For us? Well, uh, the, the, the number is 018744684, and the website is uh, autism.ie. Okay, perfect. Um, Dennis, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time and uh, and uh, fair play to for all the work you guys do within the society. And uh, I hope uh, you have a very productive year ahead uh, supporting um, people with autism. Well, thanks for your contribution to it there because the, the more awareness, people hearing your program... Hmm.
Dennis from the Irish Autumn Society and uh, really enjoyed hearing about all that's going on for them and what they have been doing over the decades and uh, what they're hoping to do in the future as well. Um, Really, really good stuff. And um, yeah, uh, so that's it for everybody. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll be talking to you again in May. Uh, Don't forget, keep your head up. (laughs) 